Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's guest producer Matt. Yeah. And Jerry's not here because Jerry is a storm sufferer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how did you fare? Pretty good. I mean... Power was out for a little while. Cable's out for a little bit. Nothing, nothing bad. Yeah, we um, we're talking about Irma. If this is this is obviously in the future, right? There may be another hurricane by then, for all we know. Yeah, well, Jose's starting to circle back around. I think. Yeah, that's what I see. Uh, but yeah, Irma came through Atlanta, which is weird for a hurricane and then eventually tropical storm to reach that far inland. Right. Uh, and I was kind of like, well, you know, we get bad thunderstorms in Atlanta. We'll be fine. Right. Didn't make, you know, I bought some extra milk for the kid and, but I didn't like go nuts with, you know, prepper style mm-hmm. uh, stuff. Right. But, uh, it was surprisingly scary. <laughs> I'm here to tell you. Were you scared? Yeah. I mean, there was like in our, our part of Atlanta got hit the hardest. Yeah. Um, sort of the East Lake, Decatur, Kirkwood, DeKalb County area. Right. Uh, and there was one. There was one moment where the trees, and we have all these old, you know, Atlanta, for those of you who don't know, is a city built in the middle of a forest. So there are these old oak and pine trees that apparently have shallow roots from past droughts and things. Right, because the roots kind of come toward the surface to yeah. get as much water. It's just not good. Yeah, and I was kind of wondering, you know, us, like we like to just sort of study things in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was looking at these trees swaying. And I was wondering about the physics of an uprooted tree and then it's probably like, you know, and the roots give. Right. And every time it swings, it probably just gets a little more unstable. Yeah. And then the big gust. And then. So we had uh, one, two, three, four, like five huge trees down within a thousand feet of our house. Oh, man, you lucked out. So we were just sort of waiting. I was just literally like, all right, which one is coming? Yeah. To hit us. Uh, and there was one huge gust that came through at one point where it was so scary sounding that we grabbed the animals and our daughter and like ran into the hallway. Wow. And Emily stayed there with her and the animals. You know, I couldn't. I was pacing sure. from window to window the right. entire time. What's going on? I was there? like, if I can see it coming down, I might give us a half a second to get out of the way. Yeah. But I did see one come down behind my house right. in real time. Right. Which was scary. I'll bet. That must have been kind of amazing to see, though, too. Yeah, and the sound. Like, obviously, we, we got nothing like uh, Florida, so I'm not trying to compare. But um, it was a little scary. Right. And we didn't have power for three days, which is not fun. So I've never seen a tree fall down in real time. So settle a bet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Does it make a Wilhelm scream? <laughs> as it's it did. Falling? It started to fall, then it went, ah! <laughs> Maybe we can get Jerry to dove in a Wilhelm scream. Yeah, the wrong right one. <laughs> We're never gonna let her live that one down, huh? Uh, so anyway, it was—I mean, it was fun at first, not being, not having power, uh, and then also wanted to announce because people care so much about our pets because they're part of the show. Yeah. Uh, on Monday or Tuesday, it was Tuesday. Uh, we took the wizard in. Because he had been like hiding and whenever animals start doing weird things like that, you know, it's not good. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, like the rest of the other three over the past nine months, tumors all over his body. Man. So we put him down yesterday uh, with no power, but had one really great night the night before with like we were forced to just be quiet and there were candles lit mm-hmm. because it ended up being this like peaceful candlelight vigil right because the power outage kind of forced that upon That's us neat how life works out like that sometimes yeah i was going you know if that hadn't happened we might have just been watching tv with him right and you know still petting him and, and caring for him but right, he's just like game of thrones <laughs> i quit game of thrones well i'm sorry chuckers that i quit game of thrones yeah. <laughs> no really i mean hard. not just from me like from everybody i'm sorry i appreciate that man yeah. uh it was emily i mean i was wrecked but emily is destroyed because yeah. this cat like was attached to her body yeah. for 15 years. Is that how long, how old he was? Yeah. And, you know, we got great lives out of Laron Buckley and Wizard. So they were good, long, full lives. Yeah. But uh, when you get together with a human and you get four animals in the space of a year or so, mm-hmm. it's all good times. And you don't think about the end of that. Yeah. 
you know? Oh, well. Like the, the succession of deaths in quick order that can happen. Yeah. 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 I see what you mean. You know? Yeah. (laughs) Now they're all here. Now they're all gone. Yeah. Yeah. Like I thought maybe like we'd lose one a year or every couple of years, but sure. It's like, no, November, February, September. Yeah. That's, that is quick succession. Yeah. It's not fun. Yeah. So anyway, just want to get that out of the way. Well, hang in there, man. Thanks, dude. And uh, hats off to you for coming in. Yeah. Rather than just being like, nope. (laughs) Well, we don't, we don't pad the queue like we used to. No. Which is good. It keeps it fresh, but there's also less room to just be like, nope. Yeah, we can bring breaking news on crayons. Right, exactly. I was going to say, during Irma, did you guys, with your power out, scribble anything with crayons? Uh, Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, eventually we sent uh, sent my daughter over to my grandparents just because they have my power. grandparents, her grandparents. Right. Yeah, and it's just she was getting a little cagey. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, I think we were getting a little cagey. Yeah. But at first, yeah, there was there was crayon play. Yeah. Crayon play. The big fat kind? <laughs> yeah, she has the big big daddies right now. Because I mean she's got a little hand, so that's what she uses that's the only kind she can grip. Yeah, better to scribble with. Right. Her fine motor neurons are not quite refined enough to hold the normal traditional size crayons. Well, I mean she would hold it, but she would hold it like she holds a a long sword. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know? yeah, I know, I know what you mean with, by with the, the longsword reference. With a deathly purpose, <laughs> right? So, um, it turns out Chuck. I don't know how much of this you know. Having a a young one with crayons, I don't know if like you read the back of the box and you're like, oh, okay, that's the history of crayons, huh? How is it on the back of the box? Maybe I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know. I right. haven't seen a crayon in years. But I have a question for you. Yeah. Is it normal to weep quietly while you're researching crayons? <laughs> Did you? Have a nostalgia burst? Yes. Yeah. Man. I mean, just like the idea of that that box with like the logo and like oh, yeah. the smell of them. We're I talking th- about Crayola crayons, obviously. Yeah. You might as well just go ahead and get that out of the way. And it's really funny because this this How Stuff Works article went to great lengths to just be about how crayons work. Yeah, a nice effort. Yeah, but they, you know, still, I mean, it's Crayola that you're talking about in the United States when you're talking about crayons for the most part. Yeah, and so much so that um, the author didn't even really talk about Crayola as a company much. Right. And I thought that was wrong. I thought so, too. Frankly. So we're going to correct <laughs> that in the podcast. Um, but I found out from this research that there is a Hydrox Oreo situation going on in the crayon world. Oh, no. Prang, which is at best and also ran in the crayon competition, mm. was actually around before Crayola or making Prang? crayons. Remember Prang? No. I think they're still around. Prang. Were they the square ones? No, no. I think they were just an off brand. Okay. But they were, it's like Hydrox. Yeah. Everybody yeah. thinks Hydrox is a knockoff. No, Oreo's the knockoff. But better, but the superior cookie. Exactly. Same yeah. with Crayola crayons. And Prang's like, what did we do? Why'd you pick us? <laughs> I'm sorry, Prang. This is just the reality of the situation that I'm pointing they know. out here. Yeah. I think. So, um, I learned a lot about this. But more than anything, I was just taken back to my childhood because yeah. childhood and Crayola go hand in hand. Yeah. Play-Doh, Crayola crayons. Yeah. And El- we need to do an Elmer's glue at some point. Sure. Just knock off the big three. Or paste. Elmer's paste. I had the purple kind with a pirate on it. Oh. Do you remember that one? Yeah. It was highly edible. Uh, oh, so I'm much sure so not at actually, all toxic. <laughs> it made you, no, it wasn't toxic. I yeah. mean, as far as I know. Right. But the, it made you want to eat it. Like you wake up and be like, I think I'm going to eat a little of that paste today at school. Yeah. Why not? Uh, it's funny you mentioned nostalgia though, because I did, you probably did too, went to the Crayola facts and figures page. Uh, and there was a Yale study that found mm-hmm. Yale University, that is. Right. Um, they found that the smell of the, the crayon, the Crayola crayon, Yes, yeah, specifically. Is ranked number 18 on the most recognizable scents for adults, just ahead of coffee and peanut butter. Yeah. Like, that's how, and I would I bet you Play-Doh's up there, too. Isn't that crazy, though, that somebody's like, oh, I, I, I would have never guessed that was coffee, but they got <laughs> they got the Crayola crayon scent. Yeah. Weirdos. Yeah, peanut butter. Hmm, what yeah. is that? Sounds like. It's weird concoction. Yeah, is that a turd? <laughs> Gross. <laughs> That word is just borderline acceptable to me. I think it's one of the great 
gross words because of the way it's spelled yeah more than anything the way you spit out the word yeah t-u-r-d it just looks gross but you almost you make the sound (laughs) that that you make when you're when you encounter the smell of poop in a bathroom or something like turd turd right (laughs) i think that's one of the reasons why i don't like it it's just too visceral oh man all right so let's get into this. Okay, so crayons have not been around very long, Chuck. Uh, the crayon as we know it, as in the little round uh, childhood writing implement, mm-hmm. has only been around since the uh, latter half of the 19th century. But this article goes to great pains <laughs> to talk about a bunch of things that are not crayons, yeah, but waxy uh, forms of art. Right. So, so we might as well talk about a little bit of that. Like uh but did you find out how to pronounce this batik or batik? Well, I said batik because I did this, believe you, it or not. Oh, you've done batik before? I have. Nice. It was um weirdly, well, not weirdly, I guess. My my elementary school, of which uh, my father was principal, mm-hmm. as we know, mm-hmm. uh, had a, a lot of interesting programs. I can't remember the name of the class, but it was like, Let's get it was far like a, out. It was sort of like an elective, but for elementary school. Okay. Yeah. It was the 80s, so it was probably called that. <laughs> right. But it was just different kind of, you know, we did photography and oh, cool. uh, all sorts of cool stuff that you usually don't get to do in grade school. But we did a batik course, mm-hmm. and my dad got really into it for a while. Did so he really? We were batiking in our family for was, a short time. Was this like right before he got into bedazzling? Uh, he never got into that. Oh, okay. No, he was into photography and batiking. Yeah. So we would batik like the only thing that I remember was doing. You're going to think this is good. We did uh, Herschel Walker, Georgia Bulldog batik canvases. Nice. That we framed. Right. Yeah. So uh, let me figure this out. <laughs> Just unpack that one. There was like a, a, a an image of Herschel Walker on a canvas. Yeah. I think or so. you drew Herschel Walker no. in. It would would look nothing like Herschel Walker. So how did you, how was it a Herschel Walker camera? I think if I remember correctly, like we would get an artist to do it. Okay. And then we would batik on like a cloth canvas Uh and then we would batik that. So you would take wax and trace it over it or something like that? Yeah. I don't think it it may not have been true in the batik style. We're dancing around this a lot and people are like, what the heck is batik? Oh yeah, we should say. Uh, It is a, it's a, Method of dyeing cloth where you create these patterns. You spread this hot wax over a cloth. Right. And then. The cloth likes it. And then you dye it. And then the, the, the pigment doesn't get where the dot, where the wax is. And then later you remove the wax. Right. But I don't, we may have done just some weird, uh, southern version of that (laughs) because I remember like waxing already inked things. And then you would crumple them up and wrinkle them. Okay. And then it would give this cool, like, you know, like when you would wrinkle a waxy fabric, what that might look like. Shabby sheeking. Maybe. I don't know, man. So, batik strikes me as kind of like tie dye. It was, well, I mean, the end effect could look sort of like tie dye. Right. It didn't have to, though. But it didn't have to. Right. But the, the point was, and the whole reason it's making an appearance here is that it's not like it involves wax and pigment. Right. So at least 2,000, possibly even as far back as 4,000 years ago, there were people who had put together that you could do cool things with wax and pigment. Yes. Right? But batik is, is really not a crayon in any way. No, it's not. It's a process. Right. But it, it it's the it's the seed, the kernel of the beginning of an idea of a crayon. Yeah, I think the encaustic like a, art is much closer. Okay, well, encaustic art is... um Encaustic? Encaustic. Yeah. It's basically where you take a deconstructed crayon and rub it on something. Uh-huh. That's, that's encaustic <laughs> art, basically. It's taking pigment and then some sort of waxy substance, um, and melting it together mm-hmm. and then just, yeah, using it to decorate. Maybe as like a finger paint or something like that. And then I guess the wax hardens and you've got art. Yeah, I mean, some of the stuff looks really cool. Did yeah. you look at any encaustic art? I didn't see art? any encaustic art. Really beautiful stuff. Really? Mm-hmm. So, like, what kind of art would you make with this? Well, I mean, any kind. Like, if you if you just looked at it on a picture on your phone, mm-hmm. you would just 
think it looks like a regular painting. Oh, really? Is there like a three-dimensional quality to it, though, because it's wax? Maybe. That's what I would guess. Like, huh. It's one of those things where you get up close to it and you go, oh. I see. Because I'm always doing it at museums. Right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've been to a museum with you. Oh. All those docents that have shushed you, man, if I had a nickel for every one. Uh, and then, of course, uh, very famous artists like Da Vinci and Edward Munch. Mm-hmm. And basically, it sounds like kind of all of them were making their own crayons. Yeah. In the truest sense of the word crayon, which is uh, French for pencil. Right. From cray, which C-R- means chalk. Right. C-R-A-I-E, right? Yes. And that's from the Latin creta, which meant chalk. Right. So but this was not chalk. No, it wasn't. But chalk is kind of similar. And in fact, the earliest manufactured crayon, the Conte crayon, yeah. um, basically grew out of chalk. Chalk is pigment and chalk. Yeah, I guess that's it. <laughs> yeah. And um, artists would use chalks like you can use still today. Some some people create art using chalks, right? Yeah, pastels. Um, right. Pastels. That's what I was looking for. So you've got pastels. It's not a really f- difficult hop, skip and jump to say, well, how about instead of chalk, we use wax and yeah. see what happens. And that's where the Kant crayon came from. But the problem is, is, um, I believe it was made from beeswax as most crayons were up to the early 19th century. Yeah. Um, and you, I think, had to warm it before you used it. So you probably had to take a flame to it for a little while, melt yeah. it a little bit, or at least get it a little malleable before you could use it. And the earliest Conte crayons were black, brown, and red. Get a load of the beauty of those three together. If you looked up, is it Conte or Conte? I'm saying Conte. Conte. I'm, I'm splitting the difference <laughs> between the two. By the way, have you seen the response from the psychopathy who says it like that <laughs> nut jobs say it like that apparently that's you psychopathy is just wrong 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 yeah it's apparently a real pet peeve of some people yeah. who really need to calm down and it's psychopathy so, i don't say it like that i never will yeah psychopathy psychopath it's like yeah, that right. guy's a real psychopath <laughs> <laughs> people would just edge away from you uh, psychopathy. Wait, well, and spoiler alert, we're, I'm going to read an email from a legit psychopath. Yeah, we got a few today. emails from psychopaths. Yeah, it's very, or sorry, psychopaths. <laughs> uh, but if you look up the, the Conta crayon and, and a photo of it, you would see that and go, Oh, I've seen those in art stores. Yeah. Uh, as soon as I saw it, I was like, Oh, I know what those are. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like for adults. Adult artists who want to do crayon art. That's where crayons came from. Yeah. I mean, it was legit art. Right. And like you said, a lot of the earlier artists, pre, pre mid 19th century artists made their own. Yeah. And then the first manufacturers of crayons were making them for artists. Correct. So we'll, we'll, we'll get back into the history of crayons after we take a break. How about that? Let's do it. Okay. Okay, so when we left off, the manufacture of crayons was about to begin, mm-hmm. and it was all for artists. Uh, I'm in the corner batiking uh, Herschel Walker. <laughs> I don't even know what you were doing. <laughs> the, well, I don't think it was batiking, though. It was definitely batiking. I bet you my dad still has some of this stuff in his basement. Well, can you bring one to work for show and tell? Maybe I will. Okay, I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to bring it up every episode. <laughs> Uh, so where did we leave off? The modern crayon is in the, its infancy. So the Kant crayon, the Kant crayon, mm-hmm. um, is invented. And I think that was the late 18th century. And then by the 1820s. So apparently it's lost to history who actually created the first crayon that we would recognize as a crayon today. Yeah. Which surprises me. But this article points out, um, a manufacturer named Joseph Le Mercier, who by the 1820s was producing uh, wax crayons. Right. Again, though, these things are um, beeswax. It's not easy to work with. 
It was way easier to go to the store and buy them, but once you bought them, it was still kind of a pain to use. Yeah, and there was, I thought this was funny too, there was another company in Germany about 15 years later, uh, J.S. Stadler, that had the same crayons, but they were all encased in wood, which just seemed like a very German thing to do. Right. You know? Yeah. I don't know why, but I don't know. It just struck me as very German. Yeah, I could see that. You know, they didn't, they wanted to be clean and they don't want stiff. to yeah, get their hands <laughs> dirty or anything. Uh, so like you said, beeswax, no good. Mm-hmm. Um, was doing the job, I guess, but this is before kids were using this stuff at all, I think. Yeah. Again, they're making them for artists, but even artists are like, this is, this is not easy to use. Right. If there's one thing that can be traced back to the industrial revolution that depends on the industrial revolution, it is the crayon. I mean, sure, yeah. tons of other stuff, forward economic progress, all that. Yeah. Wealth, <laughs> capital, all of that depended on the in- industrial revolution, but so too did the crayon, like to a surprising degree. And it starts with, um, coal mining, right? What? Yeah. In Eastern Europe, they were mining coal and they found from the coal mining in, um, the process of of mining coal, there was a byproduct called sericin. I'm a big fan of byproduct use. Me too. Pretty neat. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, sericin was softer than beeswax, which was a big, big plus. Mm-hmm. Cheaper than beeswax, which is always good yep. if you're in the money-making business. Uh, and so there was a Czech company, Offenheim and Ziffa, <laughs> who uh, started making crayons out of that stuff. And uh, as our article puts it, it was soon praised for its durability of the marks that it made. Right. So it was the good stuff. Right. It was easy to use and it left a good mark behind, which are two things you want in a crayon, especially if you're an artist, right? Yeah, you don't want disappearing ink. No. So somebody said, oh, what else can we get from coal? And a few years down the line, uh, right around the Civil War, a little after the Civil War, a guy named Charles A. Bowley. Bowley. We'll say Bowley. Yeah. He was a manufacturer from Massachusetts who started using something called paraffin. Mm, breakthrough. Everybody's heard of paraffin wax, right? Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen a package of paraffin wax that you get at the at the grocery store? Um, sure I have. Have you ever noticed that most of the paraffin wax is Gulf brand, the same Gulf that owns the Gulf 76 gas stations? Have not because it's a byproduct? Yes, and I never knew that until today. I'm like huh. Why would Gulf be into <laughs> gas stations yeah. and wax that you buy at the grocery store? It never made any sense to me. Now I understand because it's a yeah. it's a byproduct of fossil fuel mining. Yeah, like why does Yamaha make keyboards and motorcycles? That's a great question. I don't know that there's an answer to that one. Div- like diversification maybe? That's. I would like to be in on that meeting. Like, you know, we're really good at motorcycles, so I'm thinking keyboards. <laughs> thinking keytars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so par- I, I need to look at paraffin in the store. Where is it usually like in the baked goods or? Yeah, like wherever baking? you'll find like um, mason jars, that kind of thing. Oh, so like an old country store. No, they have it at the grocery <laughs> store. You just always walk past it unless you're looking for it. Gotcha. Yeah. You know? All right, we'll check it out. And it's golf usually? Yeah. That's in my experience. It's always golf. I bet I've walked past it a million times. I bet you have too. All right. Well, I'm going to keep a lookout next time I'm in the the uh, grocery store. No, the uh, the bell jar aisle. Right. Wait, I think that's probably jar. the baking good aisle. Okay. Yeah, bell jar. Is that right? Uh huh. Okay. I'm getting all my. I'm just. I'm not on my game today, so I appreciate. That's it. all right, man. <laughs> uh, so that was also derived from coal, but I guess now petroleum. Is that? I don't know. Oh, okay. I just, as far as I know, it's a fossil fuel byproduct. Okay. I'm, I'm really hedging here. Gotcha. <laughs> we don't want to get into the ins and outs of the Gulf Corporation. Right. Uh, so that was, that was when Bowley struck gold and everyone, Black gold. yeah, everyone was like, this is the stuff. Uh, this is even better than Saracen. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, all right, I'm take these and make them into pencils. Right. He was the first one to make round crayons that we we would recognize now as crayons. Yeah. He was he was the guy. And this was around the Civil War in the United States. 
Yeah. So couple this with, uh, post civil war industrialization, like you were talking about, Mm -hmm. and then couple this with, uh, this thing that was happening in the country, which is, well, Hey, maybe we should start instead of sending kids out in the fields when they're six, Uh, maybe we should start educating them a little earlier in life. And kindergarten was born. Yeah. Again, though, from industrialization. Yeah. Because not they didn't only need to be out the fields as much, I guess. Huh? They, they didn't. Um, and they like they needed to be prepared for a life outside of the fields. Which school would prepare them for yeah, prefactory work. Right. I actually saw a really interesting article once that basically said, like, schooling is at the very least initially was meant to prepare you for long periods of monotonous work basically busy work that you were being prepared for life in the factory uh-huh. by being in, in, inculcated, having that inculcated in you like that, that level of patience and oh, just, just saying getting like, up every day and going to a place. Right. And, and then uh, just like doing the same it. thing. Yeah. It's just kind of a droney kind of thing that yeah. schooling was preparing you for factory work. In Interesting. That but they made school too fun. They did eventually. Cause I was one of those kids who, Kind of like school for the most well, part. Well, if your dad was leading batik classes, <laughs> yeah, exactly, I can see how you would, right? Dude, we were rappelling off of mountains in my elementary school. Yeah, that's not how they initially viewed it. No, they no. It and you, was you probably don't do that today either. No, no. I think you hit it at just the point where school had gotten more fun than originally planned, right? But much more dangerous yeah. than is allowed today. <laughs> oh yeah, you know for sure. All those like that per, that parental slip or the permission slip. Mm-hmm. I don't think that holds water legally anymore. <laughs> Probably not. I think that's one step of like fifteen to be able to go on a field trip. Yeah, days. it was, and it was like, like literally, your child will be going down a mountain via rope, uh, as taught by your principal, and it was on a piece of paper that was like cut into thirds. Right. Right. <laughs> Wasn't even an eight by 10 piece of paper. Yeah. Or eight and a half by 11. And there's an asterisk that said principal does not know what he's doing. <laughs> uh, but what I was saying ultimately was that, so that was industrialization. So yes. coal mining industrialization led to the paraffin wax, yeah. right? Um, industrialization, getting kids prepared for factory work led to school. Uh-huh. And in school, they wanted crayons. Yeah. So that led to the creation of crayons. And then industrialization itself, Mass producing crayons led to the rise of crayons and specifically Crayola crayons. Yeah. And why did they love them in school? Um, because they didn't make a big mess. Right. Um, it's not like paint that, you know, if you've ever been in a kid's class of paint, you know what happens there. Man, remember wearing like your dad's shirt backwards as yeah. like a smock? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just no muss, no fuss. It, it's a very, um, very tight, handy, little clean product for a kid. It is to use. Yeah. Um, the problem was, like you said, a lot of these things were toxic. Oh, yeah. At the time. So there was a company called Binny and Smith and Binny and Smith. You would love them, Chuck, if you like reusing stuff. Yeah. They were cousins, right? I believe. I think so. Uh, were they? Yeah. Um, but they, they were big time into like finding byproducts of stuff and finding new uses for it, right? Hey, Benny, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to, you're going to eat that, <laughs> that sandwich? You're going to eat the rest of that? Sure, Smith. Um, so they had a patent on an iron oxide red that most farmers used in their barns. Yeah. That's how they really started to make their money. They came up with a true black, a carbon black that was used again as a byproduct of some something or other. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, <laughs> but they already had crayons in use. They they used them to mark their own shipments in their factories and their warehouses. Yeah. But Mister Binney's wife Alice was a teacher, and she said, "Hey, you guys should start manufacturing these." Um, well, they're already in the pigment business, so it made sense, right? So they took the paraffin wax that Bowley had come up with for using. Mm-hmm. They took their pigments that they already had. Um, and then they said, we need to figure out how to make this non-toxic tinkered around with it a little bit. And the Crayola crayon was born, I think in the 1880s. Yeah. And they, um, I believe are still mostly made in the U S. Uh, and I think are still, but even they were, they were bought out in the mid eighties by Hallmark. Um, during, you know, the big Hallmark takeover of the mid-80s. Right. When they just started buying everything. Sure. They're like DuPont, 
We own you now. Right. ABC. <laughs> uh, Forks Township, Pennsylvania, if I'm not mistaken, is where Crayola still is after all these years. Oh, is that right? I saw Easton. Oh, maybe, really? Maybe that's where they started out. I think it's Forks Township now. Okay. Well, we will hear from the good people of Pennsylvania. You know we will. I'm sure. Uh, but they eventually, uh, Benny and Smith Company became Crayola. Right. Yeah. They finally just said enough of the screwing around. It's not Benny and Smith presents Crayola. Crayola is the whole thing. Yeah. Which obviously came from the word crayon. And then oleaginic. Oleaginic. Really? Yeah. What does that mean? Oily. Oh. Huh. I thought you were pulling my leg. No. And it was uh, Mrs. Benny that came up with the name, too. But the fact that she was a teacher helped a lot because Benny, at least, was predisposed to listening to teachers. And at the time, teachers were starting to get um well, a little more clout. Their role in society was developing and strengthening. And that by the 1920s, every state in the union had a requirement that a kid between the ages of 8 and 14 had to go to school. Yeah. Um. So there was like a ready-made... Um, uh, relationship? No, what's the product? Uh, no, demand. Yes, in schooling, yeah. and apparently one of the first customers of Crayola was the U.S. government, who bought them for the um Native American schools that they forced kids into. Oh, they said, "Hey, we took you from your family, and we're destroying your culture crayons. while you're here." But have you seen <laughs> crayons before? Wow, these are awesome, huh? Uh, shall we take another break? Yes. All right. Well, let's do so. And we'll come back and talk a little bit how uh, Crayola crayons are made and, believe it or not, a little bit about controversy with crayons. Okay, so industrialization gives us Crayola. Crayola takes the stick and runs with it, right? And who was the other company? Prang. Prang's just... Doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, does it? Hit a corner, crying. Like, did you ever notice, did you ever see a box of crayons that weren't Crayola? Like, there's something wrong (laughs) with them, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't look right. It's definitely one of those brands that was so iconic and synonymous with its own product that... uh. You felt like, you know, you felt bad for the kids who didn't have the Crayola crayon. Sure. Yeah, I hope I'm not coming off as elitist. I, I'm yeah, sure you're, I you're, had. Your fancy $6 box of right. crayons. I had knockoff crayons myself, but I was also quite familiar with Crayola, and I always just loved the Crayola ones. The The knockoff crayons never evoked any emotional response to me. Somehow Crayola did. Well, that's, I'm looking at Crang now, and I definitely have never even seen these. Hmm. Um. Maybe maybe I was the only kid with the Prang crayon. Well, and I know the good people at Prang right now are screaming, we're not knockoffs. We pointed that out earlier. Yeah, we already said that earlier. You should listen to the whole episode. Um, Remember the uh, the giant box that had the sharpener in the back? So let me give you a little bit about that. <laughs> are you just bringing it up or were you going to say something? Oh, no, I was just, it just sort of occurred to me that, how many crayons were this, 60 something? Started off as 64. Okay. Introduced in 1958. All right. It was the first box, I believe, with the flip-top box. Yeah. What they call the stadium seating. Uh, yeah. And the built-in sharpener. Uh, yeah, in the back. And it debuted on Captain Kangaroo. Oh. On his show. Okay. As a commercial? I, or he used them? I'm sure he blurred the lines there. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> hey, One kids, of look at yeah. this new thing. You're going to uh-huh. love this. Yeah. And he had wads of cash coming out of his pocket. Sure, right. <laughs> out of his green jeans. Yeah, ex- yeah exactly. <laughs> oh, no. It was a different dude. But... That was Mr. Green Jeans. Yeah. yeah. I think he wore his pants once in a while. Sure. Just to show him who's boss. Uh, Yeah. I used to love those because one of my big peeves still as an adult is a dull crayon. Yeah. So that sharpener. That was I, a... I would waste a lot of wax trying to get the thing sharp. It was a huge innovation for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, the saddest crayon is the uh, the broken in half one. Yeah, that is worn down so uh, it's not even a round mound at this point. It's worn down to the paper, mm-hmm. and you got to start peeling the paper away. Yeah, and then 
I don't know. I was always just like, I don't want to play with this anymore. Or what about the communist who would like use the use it sideways rather than at its point? They would just rub it lengthwise so that yeah. it would flatten out on one side. They were probably artists, I guess, trying to you know create uh, shading patterns or something. Well, it was lost on me at the time. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't realized that. I I yelled at a lot of kids unnecessarily, apparently. Yeah, I used crayons for my very uh, now famous uh, village people portrait. Right. <laughs> what else are you going to use for that? I don't know. Maybe colored pencils, but sure. That's if you're just trying to impress somebody. Yeah, I never got into those. They're hard to, I mean, like, they just didn't show up quite as well. Crayon says, I'm here. Yeah, and it would, you press down hard, and when you pull it off the page, sometimes it would stick a little bit, mm -hmm. and it would make that little sound oh, when you yeah. pulled it off. <laughs> I forgot about that sound, man. John Hodgman is having a very hard time if he's listening to this <laughs> yeah. nostalgia-laden oh, episode. He, he moved on a while back. <laughs> yeah. Not just from this episode, either. Oh, you don't think he listens anymore? Uh, probably not. <laughs> I know a bunch of podcasters now and they, none of them will, they stop listening once they get to know somebody for the most part. Mm. I don't do that. I enjoy hearing my friends podcasts. I, huh. I think that makes me an outlier though. Yeah. Cause I've heard several remarks like, yeah, I can't listen anymore now, now that we're friends. Well, I wonder if it's kind of like, um, you know, if you like somebody in real life, uh -huh. you very frequently can't be friends with them on Facebook. Because it's just like a different what hateable side of them. I thought that's how Facebook worked. No, in in ideal situations, but you've never had somebody where you're just like, I can't listen to you rant about this for another minute. Oh, I'm oh not oh. friends on Facebook anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. Because I like you in real life, and I want to keep liking you in real life. But I'm gonna hate your guts if we remain Facebook friends, or if I keep following you on Twitter. Because I can't stand you on social media. Yeah. But in real life, I really like you. I know what you mean. Totally. It's probably the same thing. I got a dude like that. And it's not even like political stuff. It's just, uh, I don't know, sort of jerky complaining where I'm like, are you, that's who you are? Yeah. It's like, I thought you were a real nice guy. Right. <laughs> but, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, it brings out the worst. Social media brings yeah. out the worst in people. Yeah. The worst. Worst. Yeah. All right. So where were we? Oh, we were talking about crayons. Right. So we hadn't really started yet talking about the colors. I feel like we should. Yeah. Because there's one thing. This is what Crayola did better than anybody else. So early on, they identified a um another company, a rival company. Right. Called Munsell. Oh. And Munsell made really high-end crayons for artists. And Crayola said, you're making better crayons than we are. We're going to buy you. We're going to buy your crayon division. Uh -huh. So they adopted the techniques and the oh. pigments that Munsell made. Uh -huh. But Munsell, since they were gearing themselves toward artists, their packages would say like five uh, intermediate hued, yeah. <laughs> medium chrome, medium value artist crayons. Right. And so instead of having the, keeping the Munsell words, which would be like, medium uh medium reddish blue or something like that uh -huh. they would change the name to plum right and then they would use other great names like periwinkle dandelion and dandelion nowadays it's things like macaroni and cheese yeah. or razzmatazz raspberry not a fan of that okay but there's there's they use names that kids can get into sure. and that not only can get into like those words Swirling around, right? <laughs> swirling around in your, in your consciousness yeah. helps shape your worldview. Like the world was kind of beautiful and there were yeah. beautiful words and things involved in it. Burnt Sienna. But yeah, that was not <laughs> one of them. But, but the, uh, the, and as a matter of fact, some of their early crayons were called things like Venetian red or cobalt blue, stuff you would find right. in an artist's paint box. Yeah. Um, and they, they, oh, they figured out very early on that the name of the color means as much as the color itself. Yeah, and I think the first editions in 1903, they used uh, some of the, um, like, uh, copper and gold. And wasn't there one other one? Silver. Yeah, silver, of course. <clears throat> uh, and they didn't use any other metallics till the 1980s. Right. Uh, I, guess, I guess they had it covered there. But I think you're right. The, the naming... I mean, that's also gotten them into a little bit of trouble. We talked about a little controversy. Yeah. Um, and you know, you, 
didn't think about this when you were a little kid in the 70s and 80s. Well, not as a little white kid. No, you're a more, we're more uh, forward-thinking society now. Definitely. So when you De- see, hold on. Say that again. <laughs> we're more forward-thinking society now. Yeah. So when you see a crayon um, that's called flesh, and it's clearly, you know, uh, white, white person, peachy sort of complexion right. of a crayon. That's not cool because there are all different colors of people and Crayola got it right. I don't know if it was from intense pressure or internally or what, but, uh, in the, when was it? 1962. Yeah. They said, yeah, we probably shouldn't call this color flesh. Apparently they, this was teachers again. This was oh, Crayola really? listening to teachers and teachers saying like, yeah, I don't think this is okay. Yeah. There's apparently a study that found that kids typically use that to color in drawings of people. Right. As like a default skin color. Mm-hmm. So Crayola very wisely, I think, and, and magnanimously said, sorry about that. We're going to change it to peach, like you said. Yeah. Uh, and then they also said, you know, on their part, they said, you know, what we were talking about was the, what they called the more or less universal color found on the palm of hands. But I don't know if I buy that. Uh, yeah, I, uh, that was apparently the company line. And I'm not sure if I buy that that's even true from this article. <laughs> <laughs> right. What about this one just seems so patently racist that I can't believe it was ever a name until you look into it a little further. Indian red. Yes, uh, which was apparently derived from a plant pigment in India, and they didn't mean it like that. But then they thought, hey, maybe that's an association people are going to make. Probably not a good idea. Again, apparently teachers saying like, right. what are you guys doing? That's like as bad as having your team's baseball mascot, Chief Nakahoma or something like that. Yeah, her Chief Wahoo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they changed Indian Red to Chestnut in, uh, Which I like. what year. Yeah, I Chestnut. It's, it's very nice. It's a great name. No, Bert Sienna. Apparently also they've only dropped one other name, although they have like something like 301 what are called true colors. Yeah. But then something like 800 names. So they've clearly used different names for the same color before. Like magenta was renamed or red violet was renamed magenta, I believe. Um, so they'll, they'll do that old switcheroo here or there. Yeah. But apparently there are only three names they just completely got rid of. Or no, maybe there's a fourth one they retired or the, they retired the color dandelion, but just this year. Yeah. Yeah. But Indian red, um, flesh, and Prussian blue were all names that were taken out and never brought back. And Prussian blue, not for any reason other than kids couldn't identify with Prussia. Yeah. Because <laughs> no one knows what Prussia is anymore. Uh, I think you might have said 301. There's 331. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I saw an article. <laughs> uh, it was like a college newspaper on their website. They said that they've Crayola sold more than 100,000 crayons. I was like, I think you're missing three or three or more zeros there. Unless it was like today. Right. Right. You know, <laughs> that's pretty funny. It does, yeah. It got me. Um, they now, you know, like any company, um, can't just leave it with the good old fashioned crayons. You got to diversify. So sure. You see things these days like neon colors and, uh, and of course they make markers and all kinds of good stuff. Like I that. love the Crayola markers. Yeah. Me too. The, the big fat marker. Uh huh. Just the shape, the white with the color against it and everything. It was, yeah. I loved them. Well, and a lot of those now for kids are washable. So, um, when the kid draws on the coffee table, it just wipes right off. Right. Very, very nice. Or the brand new white couch, which why did you even get that when you have a kid? <laughs> what are you thinking? Oh, we would never have that because of wine consumption. Sure. It would be a purple couch right. after a couple of years. It'd be uh magenta. Uh, I've got some Crayola facts for you. Well, first, okay, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. The uh, <laughs> the largest one, of course, any uh, iconic brand like this is going to make a super giant one put on display somewhere. Oh, they did that, huh? Yeah, Big Blue. And it's kind of neat the way they did it, though. They took uh, 123,000 old blue crayons that they gathered from kids all over the country, mm-hmm. and they melted those down into big blue. Oh, that's cool. Giant 1,500-pound crayon. That's a great fate for some used-up crayons, you know? Yeah, make 3 billion a year, not 100,000. <laughs> so 
I don't know what that guy was thinking. I don't either. And maybe they meant a minute or they left off. There was something missing from that sentence <laughs> I think for so. sure. Uh, and the average kid supposedly, and I'm sure they're talking about dumb old American kids. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time they're 10 years old, they have gone through 720 crayons. Crayola brand crayons. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, we probably could have gotten some dough out of these guys. Well, maybe we should retroactively. Isn't that how it works? Yeah, we get money out of Crayola and we get sued by Prang. Right. And then it all just comes out to zero. Right. We give Prang or Crayola <laughs> money. Yeah. Yeah. So um Crayola apparently also did a survey to find out what the top 10 colors are of all time. Oh, yeah. Blue. Sure. That's my favorite color. But my favorite crayon is probably violet. Oh, okay. It's the whole concept of it. Yeah. Um, That's number three. Violet is number two is red. Green is four. Carnation pink is five. Black is six. Just straight up black. You like the black crayon, huh? Well, that yeah. That was for drawing lines. Yeah, to me. outlining things. Okay, Very well, that would make sense. I got it. Turquoise blue. Mm-hmm. Blue green. Yeah. Periwinkle. Yeah, nice name. I think so too. But it's also a nice, lovely type of silvery blue, if I remember correctly, right? Mm, I think so. Silvery purplish. I'm not sure. I'm not very good with colors. Emily's great with that stuff. And that we'll ask her. Yeah. Say, what's periwinkle? Yeah. And she'll say, it's, but I need a thing. She'll say, like, oh, the, the whatever in our house is periwinkle. I gotcha. You know, I gotcha. Uh, and then magenta. Yes. Not big on magenta. Yeah. I think that's it, Chuck. What's your favorite of all time? I don't know. I don't think I have a favorite color of crayon or maybe at all. I see. I like black. Okay. We'll go with that. Johnny Cash. Um, I do have one more thing. It's funny that, uh, one thing that we usually do is look at just, uh, when we're searching things online, we'll look at news. Right. Just to see if there's anything breaking. Right. And believe it or not, I looked at crayons, Crayola, mm-hmm. and it was an eight minute old story. Wow. Breaking story. That is breaking. Right before we recorded. Not like CNN breaking news, like actual breaking news. That's right. They have, uh, they're releasing a new blue this year. Uh, there was, uh, some scientists at Oregon State University, uh, go ducks. Ducks? Mm. No, that's University of Oregon. Ooh, you almost got us killed. The Oregon State. The loggers. Periwinkle cowboys. <laughs> uh, the, in 2009 at Oregon State, they were, um, doing some research trying to discover materials for electronics. And Ooh, that's high tech. As often happens, and something accidental occurred, they mixed an oxide with some other chemicals, heated it up, and they discovered a brand new pigment of blue uh, in 2009. Uh, Y-I-N-M-N. Uh, Yinmen? I'm not sure how it's pronounced. That's not very marketable. But it's a very, it's sort of cobalty. Um, I like cobalt blue. Yeah, this is very vivid blue. Wow. And uh, we should do something on pigments at some point because I didn't, it's just weird to me that they could say, like, no, this is a brand new color. Right. Um, yeah, but they did. Let's definitely do that. That'd be kind of interesting, yeah. the science behind that. So Crayola is making uh, this Yinman into <laughs> a, uh, and they outsourced that they let kids vote many, many entrants uh, to this name, and they are naming it Blutiful. Oh. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, it's like, get your get your color naming staff back. Get the team back together, Crayola. Yeah, you. Beautiful is what happens when you ask 10,000 six-year-olds. Right. Uh, so Beautiful's coming out uh, just in time for the holiday season. Nice. Well, there you go. That's crayons, <laughs> specifically Crayola crayons. Sorry for the buzz marketing, but we couldn't help it. Did we get Oregon State? They're the Cowboys, right? No, no that's the Oklahoma Beavers. State. Beavers. Thank you, guest producer Matt, for looking it up. I like Periwinkle Cowboys. Yeah. Uh, well, if you want to know more about crayons, go get some crayons. Break them open and smell them. It'll tell you everything you need to know. And in the meantime, uh, it's time for listener mail. And I also want to say to the good people of Prang, once again, people sure. should support Prang. Sure. As well. As the OG. At, at the very least, go out and diversify your crayon portfolio. Right. You know? Yep. All right. Like like Yamaha did with their keyboard. <laughs> yeah, and jet skis. That makes a little more sense. At least they knew how to make engines for a motorcycle. Right. Yeah. 
Um, all right, this is, I'm reading another Satanist reply, but it felt like this one should be read. Okay. Uh, hey guys, I'm a Christian pastor. Oh, I love this one. Uh, as such, I hold strong religious convictions, and yet, I've always found it incredibly important, both personally and professionally, to learn what I can about other belief systems. So, you're doing it right. Restoring my faith in humanity. Uh, I want to thank you for the episode on the Church of Satan. It's not an organization that I've taken the opportunity to learn much about, perhaps out of fear or pride, but... I found what you share to be very informational. In any study of other belief systems, it is not only important to know what we disagree on, but perhaps just as importantly, what we do agree on. While there are clearly areas where Satanist and I would never agree, there are actually many things that we have uh, in common. Uh, in a climate of increased divisiveness, it is important to focus on what we share, not what divides us. Your episode opened my mind and gave me new insight, and for that I am incredibly grateful. Thank you for your show. Please keep up the good work. Isn't that great? Yeah. Uh, signed, Peace, Reverend Lee Benish of Temple, Texas. Thank you, Reverend Lee, soon to be former Reverend. And this is uh, Lee, uh, Lady Lee, L-E-I-G-H. I saw that. But it could be a man. No, it's a lady. Oh, it is. Yeah. Well, thank you, Reverend <laughs> Lee. Again, seriously, we heard from you and from one other Reverend who basically said, you know, thanks for opening my eyes. And, sure. And but I, I found it very interesting, too. Not just opening their eyes, but also like restoring their faith, like it confirmed their faith. Right. There was they're challenged. not running out to join the Church of Satan. <laughs> right. <laughs> they was challenged. They thought about it uh -huh. and they said, "Nope, I'm doubling down. I'm I I feel good about this after being confronted with opposing viewpoints." That's how it's done, folks. It's called yeah. critical thinking. Yeah, nicely done. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet to us. I'm at Josh M. Clark and at SYSK Podcast, both on Twitter. You can hang out with Chuck at Charles W. Chuck Bryan on Facebook or at Stuff You Should Know on Facebook. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 